right. So let's talk some more about that uh, good heavenly father uh, by looking at 2 Peter. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we're down now, uh, down into verse 11, and, and we'll actually start verse 12 uh, today. But so again, first Peter, or 2 Peter, what is it sort of set up? That, that idea of remember and respond is being brought back up. So chapter 1, remember what God has done for you. Respond to that by seeking to live these ways, these qualities. Remember all the things that he laid out uh, to strive after earnestly, to hasten after these things. There's going to be an important point that we're going to bring up, uh, well, probably next week. Uh, but to hasten after those things, to strive to live based on what God has done for you. Chapter 2, he does this brief excursus into false teachers. Again, the interesting point being the only time the word false teachers used in the New Testament is in chapter 2 of, of Second Peter here. Uh, which is why it's a chapter that people go to a lot when, when looking at that. But then Peter goes back to really the same sort of theme that has driven the letter in chapter 3, which is remember and respond again. Uh, and what does he want them to remember this time? Not what God has done, but this time they remember what God has said he is going to do. And they respond to that. This is how you live in light of that so we looked at that the lord is going to come again that the lord's timing is different from our timing and now we're on to how we're supposed to respond so that's what we're supposed to remember the lord's going to come again the lord's timing is different from ours so how do we respond to that uh well last week we saw you live like the world is passing away by pursuing holiness and godwardness remember we 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 shifted our word to Godwardness, uh, that, that that's how we respond to this, this passing away world is to not attach yourself to the world, be holy, separate yourself from the world, and instead be devoted to that which is eternal, to God. Put your eyes Godward. Take your eyes off of the world, separate from that, and put your eyes on God. Uh, and so that's the sort of first way that you do that. Eyes on the Lord, eyes off of the earth, but let's continue to look at this first section, and then we'll see that that's not the only thing that Peter has called us to. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Let's read verses 11 through 13, this section here, uh, and then uh, we'll see how we're supposed to keep responding to this promised coming of the Lord that is going to come at his timing. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godwardness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies the elements will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells let's pray father we come to you and and we Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for who you are, that you are our firm foundation. We thank you for our great high priest that is ministering, interceding right now, seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is done, uh, accomplishing for us a salvation that we now remember and respond to and a salvation that is also yet to come. So thank you, Father, for all that Christ has done. I pray, Father, that we would live accordingly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, we looked at that first part. We looked at verse 11. 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godwardness? We looked at that. So this world is going to come undone. Remember, that's the word for dissolved. It's the word untied. When uh, John the Baptist said he's not worthy to untie the sandal of Christ, that's that same word. So everything in this world is like creation is come unwrapped, right? Uh, when the Lord's judgment uh, comes, how do we live if that's going to happen? If all of this is just going to come undone, just dissolve, what sort of people ought we to be? We should be holy, separated from the Lord, and we should live godwardly, uh, focusing instead on, on what or, or rather who is eternal and not stained by sin. But again, that's not the only thing Peter tells us to do. So look at verse 12. In verse 12, we get another two commandments on how to live in light of the end. So if, if all of this is going to pass away, if the world is going to pass away, how do we live? Look at verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the elements will melt as they burn. So we are to be waiting for the day of God and we are to be hastening the day of God that is going to bring this destruction, this unwrapping, this resolution to the fallen world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Those two things, waiting and hastening. So let's look at those two commands. Let's understand, what is, it, what is God telling us to do when he says wait and hasten? Well, it's interesting because last week, these two ideas, it's like hurry up and wait, right? Uh, wait and hurry it up. Uh, wait for it, but want it to come faster. Uh, it almost seemed like opposites. And it's interesting because the last two were kind of opposites as well. Holiness and godliness. Holiness, separate yourself from the world. Holiness has the idea of separation. And then that word eusebia, where we get godwardness, has an idea of devotion. So pull yourself from and fix yourself to. So even last week, those two words in their, in, in their construction are sort of opposites. Pull yourself away from something and devote yourself to something. And here we see the same thing. Two opposites paired together. So last week, get away, but also get toward. And this week, again, opposites, wait, and yet what? Hasten. Wait for it. And yet, as, as we're going to look, that word hasten, speed it along. But what does that mean? What are we supposed to do when it says that we are to wait and yet hasten? This week, we're going to look at the idea of how we as Christians are supposed to be waiting for that day, waiting for the day of uh, the Lord. Uh, and that word waiting is an important word here in this section. Uh, Peter's going to use it three times just in the next couple of verses. Uh, waiting, waiting, as you're waiting. Christians are to be waiting for the day of God. Christians are to be waiting for that day. Actually, waiting for the coming of the Lord is just a part of the basic Christian life, just a part of the uh, of what it means to be a Christian. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to be someone who is waiting for the return of Christ. So this idea of waiting for that day, this isn't something that you get to when you get to, you know, third level Christianity or, you know, upper reaches of Christendom. This is actually part of 
basic Christian faith. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to see that to be a Christian is to be waiting for Christ to return. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also what? To all who have loved his appearing. To whom does Jesus give the crown of righteousness? To all of those who have loved for his appearing. All of those who are cherishing the return of Christ. All of those who when Christ returns are like, yes, that's what I want. That's what I am loving. I cannot wait for Christ to return. They are loving. The world, is the world going to love his appearing? No. Uh, does the world want them to come and take away this thing that they've buried their treasures in? No. But for the Christian, we love the appearing of our Christ. It is something that we cherish, that we long for. In fact, that idea is just part of the basic Christian faith, of elementary aspects of the Christian faith. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how, and look at how he's going to describe their salvation. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Right? That part we, we expect, right? You were saved and you quit worshiping idols. But what else is part of their Christian faith uh, as you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what two parts does Paul pull out again, like he did in Timothy? What two parts does he pull out as aspects of their basic creed? Look, we love that we the reception that we receive from you. You have turned from your idols, and you're now what? Waiting for the Lord. Do you know what you see in those two things? That Peter and Paul were very much sympathetical in this. What two things do you see there? Holiness turning from your idols, and what? Godwardness, waiting for the Lord. Your eyes are fixed on him. You see, even in there, holiness, you turn from your idols, you separated yourself from the world, and you devoted yourself, you fix your eyes on the things above, waiting, loving the returning of Christ. And that, that was just, those are just marks of salvation, right? Is someone who is waiting for the Son, loving his appearing, so when Peter says here that, that they're to be waiting for that day, that as a Christian, you're supposed to be waiting for that day, he's again not giving them some new insight. He's not saying, hey, let me tell you something, guys. You're actually supposed to be waiting for the return of Christ. And they're like, what? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have written it in my first letter and I forgot about it. Uh, but I'm bringing it up now. This was part of what a Christian is to do. He's just reminding them again. This again fits with Peter's MO. He's not telling them anything new. He's reminding them what they know. You know this day is coming. You know what the prophets have said. You know the commandments of Christ. So what are you supposed to be doing? The thing you did from the very beginning, which is wait. You wait for that day, longing for it, cherishing it, loving it. But you have always been waiting. You don't need to do anything new. You just need to do what you did at the beginning, which is wait. You need to be waiting for that day. But what does it mean to be waiting? How do I wait? I'm horrible at waiting. I'm like the worst person to wait. Because I like to get ready for things very early. So 
like this morning, I was ready to go to church at like 7.30. You know who wasn't ready to go to church at 7.30? Anybody else. So what did I do? I helped. How did I help? Pacing. Pacing the house like a caged panther uh, for the next two hours. Uh, and then kindly telling everyone exactly what time it was. Uh, because I was afraid they wouldn't know. Uh, and so, yeah, that's not waiting, right? That was like the opposite. I was, that was hastening. Uh, but Leslie would tell you, you're not hastening, you're making me slow down uh, because you're making me nervous and sweat Go in the other room. Uh, so uh, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does that look like? So if I said, guys, wait on the Lord, practically, practically, how do we do that? Because, I mean, in a sense, we're all waiting on the Lord, right? It's not like any of us are going to go, no, nah, I'm just going to go up there already. Uh, or I'm going to, you know, I mean, we are, by definition, going to be waiting. We can't cause it. We can't say, no, let's go ahead and have him do it now. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, let's look at a, a few things as Scripture describes what it means to be waiting for that day. And our hope is that you and I can be waiting for the return of Christ the way that we're supposed to. Because I think when you look at the Christian life, a lot of us don't know what to do with the return of Christ. We know it's coming, and we know we're supposed to want it to come, but we don't know how we should feel about it. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I, I was scared to death of the return of Christ. I didn't, I mean, it, I mean, and not because I watched A Thief in the Night, which would have just scarred me anyway, uh, but because, you know, you just read these things in scripture and you're like, man, and then you hear people talking about the return of the Lord. And I'm like, well, what's that? And a trumpet. Uh, and Gary was, Gary was probably like, that's sweet. He's bringing a trumpet. Awesome. Uh, I knew I liked this Jesus guy. Uh, but I, uh, one time I remember, I, well, this is how I prayed. I was listening to Christian radio because I was in youth group in high school. Uh, and I was, I had my, I had my radio station set to, 90.9 FM, uh, but I didn't know at that time, because I just started listening to Christian radio and wanting to get good songs in my head, which I very much encourage you to do. I didn't know that late at night on 90.9, they played like death metal Christian music. Like I turned it on and it was like, like the cross. And I'm like, so I have no idea what's going on. I, you know what I, I, dead serious, I thought the devil's taking over the radio station. I did. I thought this is the end. This is what the apocalypse is going to look like. This is the beginning. He's the prince of the power of the air. I had all sorts of like exegetical reasons to go where I was going as an eighth grader. Uh, and I just remember, I, I still remember sitting in front of my stereo, which at that time, remember, it was huge. Uh, sitting in front of it and just being like, what do I do? Uh, if I keep listening to it, is this the mark of the beast? Uh, you know, like, and just knowing, all right, the trumpet's about to blow, being scared to death. Uh, and what's funny is eventually, no one told, eventually I just went to bed. Uh, so no one explained to me. I just kept hearing it and I'd, I'd turn, and I would turn it back on again later to be, and it'd be the same thing. I'd be like, uh, uh, and so what do you do? Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep and wake up and it'll, it'll all be over one way or the other. Uh, either Sandy Patty will be on or you'll be with the Lord. Uh, so, uh, I, but I was scared. And a lot of Christians, we don't, we don't know how to wait. Are we just afraid? Are we waiting like this? Or, you know, what does that look like to wait for God? Well, Scripture tells us. For example, 
Look at Luke chapter 12. The first thing we're going to see is that to be waiting for the Lord to be ready is to be at work. Be at work. That waiting for the Lord is not to be inactive. It is just to be about the work that God has given you. That's how you wait. So we're not going to be just some sort of monkish ascetics who just sit and wait for this to happen. We're not going to be some sort of, you know, branch Davidians that are going to pull ourselves into the middle of some uh, wilderness somewhere and wait for this day or all of us going to buy the same, you know, Converse tennis shoes and uh, or anything like that. Like we wait for the Lord by being about the work that the Lord has given us. You see this, Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. So what do we hear? We are to be servants who are waiting. We're to be those who don't get in our pajamas, right? We are dressed for action. We are doing our jobs. That word dressed for action is a word that Zachary mentioned probably a year ago by now. This is the idea of, remember when Peter said, gird the loins of your mind? This is that same, it's, it's off the same root. It's not the exact same word, very similar. It is the idea of girding up, being ready. You're ready for anything. Uh, It's being prepared at any moment. In this case, as a servant, being ready to do your job. And in fact, doing your job. Doing your job as you wait for the master to come. So you've got your lamps burning. You're waiting so that when the master opens the door, you're ready to serve the master. You're ready. You're waiting for him. It is a servant who knows because his master could come back at any moment, he, he, he gets himself ready for work. But he doesn't just say he's waiting for his master, does he? He doesn't go to bed and say, oh, my master could come at any moment and go to sleep. He stays awake. He stays about his job. If, if we were talking about what, what we've been looking at, he lives a holy life. He lives a Godward life. He doesn't just say, oh, uh, well, when he gets here, he'll get here. Because he knows his master is coming, he is ready at all times. Not just in how he talks about the end, but in how he lives it. I mean, it's, easy, it's easy to talk about the end times to where people assume that you're waiting for it. And you can have all the sorts of, you know, uh, end times literature. Ever. You can have all the pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill books and all the maps and all the whatever on your wall and know everything and talk about it all the time. And it's easy to do that, but to be waiting for the master is not just to know the master is going to return, but to be someone who is ready and dressed for his return, who has their lamps still burning, ready so that when the master knocks, the instant he knocks, that door is open. Being dressed for action, not just in our talk, but in our lives, living as if Christ could come back this instant. In fact, this is how Paul told preachers they should preach. That one of the reasons you preach the word is because you might be preaching and Jesus might come back in the middle of a sermon. Right? And not just because two or three are gathered, but because it's his return. 
So he said, what does he, what does he tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2? So when he's telling him, what do we know from that passage? Preach the word, right? Preach the word. Well, look at the reasons why. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You don't, you don't want Christ to show up in the middle of your sermon and you've spent five minutes on the Bible, right? And here you are an hour into the sermon. And you're like, oh man, I, well, we did our Bible stuff. Now let's just, let's just do our me stuff for a while. I've got a really good story I want to share with everybody and that's going to be our focus. If Jesus could really come back at any time, and if he's going to judge us for every idle word on our lips, you better make sure that when he returns, if he returns in the middle of your sermon, he better hear you preaching the word. He said, by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. But for Christians, uh, our waiting is not just about our action. So, how do you wait for the Lord? Well, one thing you're, you're waiting is being active, living lives of holiness and Godwardness. But it is also, the Bible says, a matter of how we feel about that day. It is our attitude toward that day, our hearts. For Christians, the day, of, the day of judgment, the day of God, all these things that we've looked at is not a day that we're going to fear. It's a day that we are waiting for. So waiting for it is is a physical activity. You are prepared and ready. You are waiting for that day, but it is also an emotional one. You are waiting for that day. You are, I cannot wait for that day. And we'll see why. For the Christian, this day is a day we face with confidence. So how do we feel about the return of Christ? We're not supposed to be afraid. I was wrong to be afraid, right? I, I, I was wrong to, to fear the, this judgment of God that was going to come, and here I was, and, uh, I, I, you know, what's going to happen? And we actually are supposed to face this day with confidence. First uh, John chapter 4, 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected or matured in love. We as Christians, we're not afraid of God's judgment. We are ready for this judgment to come. But how can we be ready, right? How can we hear all about the judgment of God that's going to lay bare everyone's sin? How can anyone have confidence for that day, right? He says, we're not, not only are we not afraid of it, we've got confidence. But where does John say our confidence comes from? He says, we have confidence. Why? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Our lives are our confidence for that day. If we're using Peter's words, it's our, again, our holiness and our godwardness give us confidence that we are ready to face judgment. Why? Because our lives have been changed. Our lives were not like his on our own. 
If our lives have changed, then what has happened? We have been changed. We have been redeemed. So we do not fear. The love of God has changed our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And so I can know I'm ready for that day, not just because I say I believe in Christ, but because my life shows it, that my life is as his. So not only do we live lives of holiness and godliness in preparation for that day, it is our lives of, of holiness and godliness that prepare us for that day. So we don't say, hey, you be holy and you live a Godward life because that day's coming. The holiness and Godwardness that you're living now is actually preparing you for the return of Christ. Again, how do we know we're ready? Well, our hearts have been changed. I'm, as, as John says, I'm living like he is. As, as he says, we, we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. We are, what are we? We are holy as he is holy. I'm walking, I mean, if we're just using Peter's, these are just Peter's words. I'm holy as he is holy. You're walking as he walked. You're tracing his life. So you must be his. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. You can have confidence in that day. God does not want his people to fear the day of judgment. And he says his love is supposed to cast out that fear. So we can see his love in us changing our lives, and that drives away any fear that we should rightly have had for that day. But we're not afraid. Why? Because of Christ. Because I can look at my life and see, as he is, so am I in this world. How is that possible? Because I wasn't. Because I'm not naturally. It must be because, as John is going to say, you abide in Christ. And that abiding in him, that fruit that you're bearing is proof that you're in the vine. And you know what? The ones in the vine, they don't get burned up by the fire. It's the branches not in the vine that bear no fruit, that look just like the world. So we can face, as John says, we can face that day with confidence because of the love of God. So we're, as Christians, we're in the surreal state of somehow waiting with confidence for God to come and judge the world. Right? We say, hey, God's going to come and he's going to judge everything and all sin. And we're like, and I'm ready for it, uh, which, is, which is only possible because of Christ. It is that love of God that drives away fear in our hearts so that we're not hiding. We're not doing as scripture says the law should do, which is to try and cover the, ourselves under a mountain or like try and run to the islands. Or, and God's like, look, the, the, the seas swallow up the islands. And then you just hide in the sea and the sea is gone. And then the mountains move. And so uh, if you're lost, you got no way of hiding from this. If you're a Christian, you have no reason to hide. You have confidence for that day because of Christ. Yes, God is going to come and judge the world. But our hearts show us we're no longer part of the world. And with that, we can face that day of judgment with confidence. We can wait for it. So you don't have to be afraid of it. God does not want us to be afraid of that day. He wants us to face it with confidence. In fact, for Christians, that day is totally changed. It's not a day we fear. It's not a day uh, we're afraid of because we do not fear God. It is seen as a day of mercy. Jude, who's talking, remember Jude is a lot like 2 Peter. Judah's writing about the same day. He's mentioning Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction and Noah and the flood and God coming to judge and burn up everything and all this. And yet, what does he say about that day for the believer? In Jude verse 21, he says, matching very much to what John said in 1 John, he says, so keep yourselves in the love of God 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He calls that day that he's been writing about, this day of the Lord, he calls it the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day that Christ returns will be a day of mercy for us. And as we are dealing right now with death of loved ones and sickness and disease and fear and all those things, it is certainly a day of mercy and when we will never have to fear those things again. For they will no more be a part of our lives. It will be a day of mercy for us, the shutting of the old, the dissolving of it, the untying of all that was wrong and broken by sin in this world and the coming of, as he says, the eternal. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to nothing but eternal life. That's why Jude can say, after all of that about how horrible the day was going to be, can say, but for us, it is a because of as we keep ourselves in the love of God, just as John said, uh, that gives us not a day that we fear, we see it as a day of mercy. And so we can wait for that day. And not with a fake waiting of, I'm ready for that day, but really like, oh goodness, this is going to be bad. Uh, but I'm supposed to be ready. I'm supposed to say I'm waiting for it. It's like, you know, when your parents try to convince you to eat something you don't like. Uh, that's not what you're doing here. You are waiting expectantly for that day. And, and, and let's see more of what the Lord says about how we're supposed to feel about that day. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 again. What did 2 Timothy chapter 4 tell us we're supposed to feel about that day? That this day is a day that for Christians, it is a day that we love that we have loved the appearing. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have what? Who have loved his appearing. We talked about how that's the basic part of the Christian faith is to be waiting for the return of Christ. But here we see how we're supposed to be feeling about that return of Christ. We are supposed to be loving the promises of that day. We are loving his appearing. That for the Christian, there's a joyous expectation for Christ's return. In fact, the Bible says that it is our hope that as Christians, when we're waiting for this day, how do we feel about it? We're hoping for this day, right? We're not just being faithful servants. We're like, I'm supposed to say, I want this day to come, right? My Lord says I should want this day to come. And so even though I don't want it to come, I'm going to be a faithful servant and say, Lord, bring that day, even though it's going to hurt, it's going to be bad and all this. It's a day that we hope for. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and Godward lives. So again, you see, same thing in Paul. Holiness and Godwardness in the present age, waiting for our what? Our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look at what he says. What did, what did the grace of God bring, right? That's how he starts out. For the grace of God has appeared, but now we're gonna have something else appearing later on in the verse. What did the grace of God cause to appear? Well, it caused our salvation to appear. And what does that look like? Renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, that's the holiness. Living self-controlled lives of holiness and godliness, living those things, but also what? It also brought a waiting for our blessed hope. What is our hope? The appearing 
of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His return. That's our hope. We're hoping for that day, that, that, that part of our salvation, part of the grace of God at work in our lives, uh, uh, Paul tells Titus here, is what? Is that we're waiting for our hope, waiting for the return of Christ. So as Christians, we're supposed to be waiting for that day with confidence, yes, but also with hope. We are hoping in that day. So it's not just like, I'm sure I can take it because of Christ. It's, I am hoping in that day. I want it to come. As we saw just a second ago, I'm loving that day. Now, why would we hope in that day? Why would we love that day? Because of what that day brings to us. Because that day is the inauguration of our eternal life. So this is why we have these feelings toward that day, because this day is going to bring eternal life, the beginning of not the end, the beginning of the unending, the beginning of the never end. We know that we already have eternal life in Christ, but the Bible also tells us that the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of what we now have in part. Remember what Jude said. Jude has already talked about this. We saw it in verse 21 when he said, to keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So that is a day that is going to lead to eternal life. That's why we're going to see that it is also a day of our salvation. It leads to eternal life. It is a day of our ultimate salvation. It is the day of our ultimate and final salvation so that we as Christians are eager for that day. This is the day that our salvation comes in full. As we know, the Bible talks about you have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. It says all of those. And this is when the will be saved is no longer said again. Just the day of your salvation. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. When Christ came the first time, it was to deal with sin. And as Zachary said, he has sat down in that effort. He does not have to stand up again and deal with sin again. Uh, he has dealt the death blow to sin. When he comes back, what is he going to do? When he comes again, he's not going to deal with sin. He's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So are we saved? Yes, of course. But there's also a sense that when Christ comes that second time, that we will, that that's when we uh, are saved fully and finally. And so we're waiting for that day. We're waiting for the day of our salvation. And even that idea is not new. The idea, the Old Testament talked about this idea that the day of God would be a day that saved his people. Isaiah 25, 7 through 9, it says, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him 
that he might, what? Save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in what? In his salvation. So when that day comes, they can say, his people can say, we've been waiting for God to save us. And in this day, when he comes and he wipes away all the tears from our faces, he does away with everything, all the reproach of his people taken from all the earth. What do we say on that day? We are glad and we rejoice because this is the day of our salvation. So in the day of the Lord, God will, God will remove the covering, spread over the earth, swallow up death, wipe away tears, take away reproach. He will save us. That's what's coming on that day. That's why we're waiting for it. Because yes, we are saved now, but yes, we are also waiting for our salvation, waiting for the struggles to end, waiting for all of this to be undone and instead have a, a thing that is, that is never undone again. And that happens when Christ returns. Well, as Christians, we also wait for this day because this is the day the Bible says that we receive our reward. So we wait for this day because on that day, we will receive our reward. We go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 again. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But he's not just giving the crown of righteousness to, to Paul. Who's he giving it to? He's going to award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, to everyone who has loved his appearing. So we get this crown of righteousness on the day that Christ returns. We get our reward. And so as believers, we, we are long, as just as Paul is not afraid of death, he's not afraid of the end of his life, the end of his ministry, because he knows that the righteous judge is going to, to give him this crown on that day. In the same way, we know that when Christ returns, we're rewarded with a crown of righteousness. And it is good to wait for this. One of the reasons we're waiting for that day expectantly. It is also, the Bible says, the day of our glorification. Colossians chapter 3, 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him where? In glory. Christ is our life. And when he appears and assumes his glory, we will appear with him in that glory. Christ's glorification is our glorification. As we unite ourselves with Christ, when Christ is shown in all his glory, it is our glory as well. As those who have followed Christ, who've laid claim to his name, who have called out on the name of Christ, it is a day of our glorification. But just as we don't need to fear that, so that's, that's what's so great about like, so if you're looking at that, you're going, all right, so it's going to be a pretty good day. Uh, yeah, it's going to be an amazing day. That's why, that's why we would, as the Bible says, we would be eagerly waiting for this day, that we would be loving this day, that we would be longing for this day, that we would be waiting expectantly for that day. But we don't, not only, what's great is not only, so that's how great that day is, but we might mess it up, right? Right? We might mess it up. But you know what? Not only do we not need to fear that day, you know what the Bible also says? That not only, not only do we not need to fear that we won't be ready for that day, that God promises that he is sustaining us for that day, making sure that the prize that you got in Christ, you do not drop along the way. So yeah, you don't need to fear 
because of Christ. But if you cast off Christ, right, you'd have every reason to be afraid. But look at what the Bible says that God is going to do to make sure that we are ready for that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 7 through 9. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can see there at the end, sort of a hinting back to Philippians chapter one, he who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion. You do not have to fear. God is faithful. So we're waiting for that day, but who is the one sustaining us as we see this great day and I don't wanna mess it up and I wanna be ready and I wanna be dressed and I wanna have my loins girded, whatever that means. I wanna be ready to go. I wanna, I wanna love this day and I want it when it gets here for me to not mess it up like I've messed up so many other days in my life. So many other instances and times where I look back and I say, you fool. How do I know I'm not going to mess up that greatest of days? He says, one of the great things is that as you, as you are waiting for the revealing of Christ, Christ Jesus is sustaining you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness to you is doing that. The one who called you into the fellowship of the Son to begin with. You're only in this fellowship because of him, and you will not fall away from this fellowship because of him. He is faithful, so you can look for that day, and you can look at it in confidence, not in you, but in God, who has called you into the fellowship of the Son, who has changed your heart and will keep your heart ready that day who will sustain you so that you don't have maybe that's a this is a new fear right the one fear is i don't have to i'm afraid of that day because i know who i am the other fear is i'm afraid that that day is so good that i might do something to mess it up that i might do something to ruin it and god says you don't have to fear that you don't have to fear that because your christ will sustain you i don't have the strength you're right you don't have the strength you can't do it, but I failed so much. You're right. That's why you know who's going to do this. You know who's going to sustain you. Guiltless, guiltless, not less guilt, no guilt on that day. Christ, your God is faithful. And that day, as great as that day is, we should have every reason to fear. We're going to mess it up and we don't because why? Because our great God is leading us to that day. As we are waiting, he is leading, he is sustaining, he is growing, he is making us what we would not be on our own. He is preparing us for a day we cannot even begin to imagine. A day that we love, a day that we wait for, a day that is our hope, a day that is our joy, a day that is our salvation. And Christian, your God will lead you faithfully to that day and that is why we wait that is why we wait eagerly and we wait with joy our duty our hope our salvation our reward you can see why christians from the very beginning were waiting for this why this is a basic part of the christian faith as you're living in a world that is broken by sin and has broken you in it what do you want i want this to be over and he says that day's coming so wait wait 
so the question we should ask, of course, just from this first part, is are you waiting for that day? If that's how we're supposed to be preparing for the day, if, if that's how we're supposed to be responding to the day is, is to be waiting for it, are you waiting the way the Bible says? I mean, are you ready? Remember that? This is the first part that we saw when Jesus in Luke chapter 12, when he said that his that the, the servant is waiting, he's dressed for action. Are you dressed for action or are you asleep in your Christian life? You remember, dressed for action doesn't just mean that you're aware of all the signs or all the clues. It means that you're ready, living the way your master has called you to live so that if he knocks on the door, he's not going to find you asleep. You know, I remember one time, the, one of the most scared I ever was in my life was when I woke up on the job. I woke up at work. I was a young man. I was like, I was a junior year, maybe senior year. I was working for a trophy company in Midwest City, Midwest Trophy. Uh, and they decided to give uh, an 11th grade boy the job of filing. So I mean, 10 minutes into that, I was done. Uh, I really tried. It was the end of work. Everyone had gone home. And I, was, I remember just trying to uh, do all these files and I fell asleep and I woke up and I thought, I'm fired, I'm done, I failed. Why? Because I was asleep at my job. As Christians, are you asleep at your job? And the master comes, will he find you in your pajamas waiting for this day? Or will he find you dressed for action? Will he find you waiting? You know what, God? And, and look, at, look at the hypocrisy of it, right? What's the hypocrisy? God, I want you to return because I can't wait for eternity of holiness and godliness. I can't wait for that day. And yet here you are right now, not pursuing those things in your own life. If you're really waiting for that day, you'll be dressed for action for that day, doing what your master has called you to do. One day the master is just gonna take away in the new heavens and the new earth, righteousness is gonna dwell everywhere and you won't have the fight anymore, but you'll still have the same drive. You'll still have the same passion. You'll have the same life. Christian, are you ready? Are you living that life now? Are you pursuing that holiness and godwardness now. That's how you, that's how you wait. That's the action of waiting. But then look at our hearts. Are you excited for that day? Are you excited for the return of Christ? Do you have those, I mean, when you saw that it was a day of hope and a day of joy and the day of your salvation and you can see they're eagerly awaiting, were you looking at that and saying, I don't know that I feel that way about that day. I don't know that if you looked at my life, someone would say, you know what? I, I came and I saw the First Baptist Church of Begs like he did the Thessalonians and how he said, look, I saw how you turn from idols and you're waiting expectantly for the return of the Lord. I saw that. If he came here, would he say, you know what? I saw how you turn from idols and I saw how you are loving the expected return of the Lord. Would he be able to tell by our lives that we are waiting eagerly for the return of Christ? In our lives of holiness and godliness, would someone know how excited we were for that day? I, mean, I, think, I think there tend to be two, two reactions to that day. One, we mentioned the idea that we're scared of that day. You don't have to be scared. You do not have to be scared of the return of Christ if your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. But if your life is not, you have every reason to be afraid of that day. Every reason. And if you've been trying to hide by living a church life or you've been trying to hide because of uh, uh, my hope is that, you know, my parents are this or my hope is that, you know, I, I, well, I do this or that. If your hope isn't, 
I know my heart has been changed by Jesus Christ. I know that if it were not for him, I would have no hope of eternal life. Then you've got every reason to be afraid of that day. But if your hope is in Christ, you have no reason to fear that day. If Jesus Christ is your life, you don't have to, you don't have to fear. Perfect love has cast out that fear. But some of us are afraid of that day for a second reason. And this was me as well. We're afraid of that day because we're not sure that day is going to be all that great. Because, why? Because we like the life that we have now. It is almost as if we're afraid Christ is going to return because then we'll lose some of the stuff we like. Well, but if Christ returns, I won't get to do this or I won't get to do that. What about this or that or this situation? We're afraid that this day is not going to be as wonderful as it is. But what, what, did, what did we see in Colossians? Who is our life? Christ is our life. He must be our life. If there's anything in this world that you would not fling away at the appearance of your Savior, then you're probably not holding that thing godwardly. So let this be an eye exam. If you hear about the return of Christ and your first thought is, but will I ever get to do this again? If your first thought isn't, that's awesome, right? And I'm so excited and that's my hope. If your first thought is, well, will we get to do this? Wait, wait, wait. Do I know for sure I'm going to get to do that? Because if I'm not sure, then maybe the day should wait a little bit. Let this be an eye exam. Let this be a heart check. What feelings do you have when you hear of the return of Christ? Joy, love, hope, expectation, eagerness, all those things that the Bible said? If not, ask why. What is it that keeps your heart captive? What is tempering your love for that day? Let these verses open your eyes to that. Then pray. Pray that God would give you a heart for that day like he says we can have, like he says we must have. As a Christian, look, the day is coming. The question, I mean, it's such a great day. Like that's not in doubt. The question is, are you waiting? Are you dressed for action with hearts filled with love and joy, with hope and expectation? You can be. In fact, the Bible says you must be. Let's pray. As we take a moment to respond to God's word, right? We don't want to just shut our Bibles and go back about our business. We want to come humbly to the Lord. We've heard from his word. We've read it. We've seen it. And now we want to come to God and ask for his grace and kindness, his mercy on us. So pray those things. And one, just praise God for his word. Thank him for the guidance that it brings to our lives. Pray that we would humbly receive it. That you wouldn't have just worshiped by your presence here, but by the heart that is laying humble before him. And then ask what these verses ask of us. Here, Peter has said that we are to be waiting for that day. When you define waiting the way the Bible defines it, can you say that you've been waiting for that day? 
waiting for, that you're, that you're dressed and ready for action. You're dressed, if Christ returned right now, your life is so ready to face your, your Savior and your Lord. So ready. Because you've been living ready. You're, you're ready. You're, you are taking captive every day, every thought. You are living that life of holiness and godliness like you're supposed to because you know your master could come at any moment. Look, if you're not, let me tell you this, get dressed. You know what these verses are supposed to do? Those verses about a, the servant not being dressed, a servant who's not dressed is supposed to read those verses and get dressed. Not just lament that they're not dressed. Not just lament that they're in their Christian pajamas. You're supposed to get dressed. Do the things you're supposed to do. Get the life that you can have because Christ has changed your heart. Holiness is yours. Godliness is yours because of the work Christ has done in you. So pursue those things. Grab those things because with them comes the gift of eternal life. So why pursue sin? Why, why not be ready? Your master calls you to it. You can do it. And then Christian, not just are you, are you ready, are you ready in your action? How is your heart about that day? When you hear about the return of Christ, do you see the elation in your heart that you, the Bible says you should have? And then ask yourself why. Right now, ask, you can ask the Father, Father, why do I not feel that way? And let His Spirit show you, convict you as it does of what is wrong in your life, the things that you are holding on to, the things that you are not pointing Godwardly, that you're making self -centered. It could be great blessings, great blessings from the Lord. But you've made them about you instead of about Him. Ask, ask, ask for the heart that you see all over the pages of Scripture. That you would be someone waiting for that day. Someone who loves the appearing of Christ. And these verses are that first step, or maybe just a continued step in what has been part of our Christian faith from the very beginning. Father, we thank you we thank you for your word. And God, I am so thankful how it exposes every thought and intention that we have, laying bare the things that sometimes, Father, we wouldn't even see. That as we prepare for this world to be laid bare, you and your word are laying us bare, exposing what needs to be undone. And then, Father, in all of this, we rejoice that it is you who gives us confidence for that day and it is you who sustains us until it comes. So even as we wait, we rest. We rest in our Christ, who is our source and is our sustenance and is our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.